Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting for this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Danielle Allen. She coaches high-performance athletes how to leverage their concussion symptoms for max performance and a better life. So welcome on to the show, Danielle. Thank you for having me. So obviously, we were talking before we started recording, and you said uh, that you had had a number of concussions, obviously upward of 11. Mm-hmm. How, in terms probably for the audience, how can you actually be able to visualize it in yourself and be aware of those symptoms because they're yeah. going to be massively varying to determine. That's, that's literally the, 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 what the major focus that we have is how to like see the symptoms in yourself. So for me, I kind of experience it's like if you've had one too many drinks and you think you're fine, but all of your friends are like, you're not fine. So you might be thinking that you're presenting well, that you're speaking properly or like you don't have any memory problems, but people around you are kind of like, are you okay? Like uh, you don't, you don't sound right. Or like you either are presenting as more emotional or moody. Um, You're walking slower, you're talking slower. So within kind of my span of concussions, I actually started to recognize the pattern in myself, whether I was, you know, having active concussion symptoms or I was okay. Um, and what was kind of the, the interesting thing is I think after concussion number five is when I was like, huh, I actually do see a difference between me being concussed and me being not concussed. Um, so I'm going to start writing down all of those symptoms, tracking my mood, tracking what I'm eating and seeing how, um, what are the changes that I'm experiencing myself? Um, and I actually did that based on the types of concussions I had. Um, and then how long the recovery were, was for each one of those. So probably I've got about like three years worth of, of information on like how my concussions or what happened. Um, what were the symptoms? Cause I think the biggest thing is a lot of people don't know, other symptoms if you've had multiple concussions um a lot of the um information is based on one concussion but after you have multiple you start to pick up more symptoms that are not kind of in the baseline neuroscience kind of jargon um so that's kind of what i was finding as i was like oh this is not listed anywhere um so that was kind of the biggest thing for me but on a spectrum, Daniel, in terms of the severity of a concussion, obviously people will associate them with combat, combat sports, collision mm-hmm. sports. Yeah. But what on the other end of the spectrum, what 
in terms of to constitute a brain injury could be like minute. Yeah. So the minutia is really fascinating for me. Um, if you, if you, if not even in combat sports, which was kind of crazy, um, motocross, for example, as I've been starting to get into guys who ride bikes and BMX stuff, it's like small impacts um, over a long set of time. All of a sudden, these guys are having the same kind of symptoms as NFL players, and it's a completely different sport. Um, so the 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 crazy thing for me is trying to find those symptoms in in minute impacts. Um, so the biggest thing that I look for is, all right, so what were you doing? Like, how much is your head jostling around? I don't think people realize how um, temperamental or moody the brain is or can be. So I've been doing research on like hydration um, or dehydration. So if you're you know, dehydrated, your brain starts to actually lose cognitive function the same way, like if you didn't sleep for 24 hours. So that like being, you know, 70% dehydrated, or even 30% dehydrated, you are reacting slower. Your like your speech can be affected. Your memory can be affected. Um, and so I look at that to say like, that's just dehydration. That's just not, like not getting enough water. So like if you compounded, you know, dehydration plus you got you know bumped in the head now you're looking at multiple factors that can start impacting your brain um and that's kind of where i i petition my athletes to start really recognizing do you have a headache um are you feeling a little cranky are you super tired um those things can kind of come up without you know getting completely knocked out um, and so kind of changing the literature around how we think of concussions, there was the NFL um, like series. It was called All Jacked Up. And all they did was show people just getting just hammered um, on the football field. And like literally they're knocked out. Same thing with MMA. We do like the biggest knockouts. But what people kind of forget is like if you get a bunch of little impacts, they make a big impact over time. So really trying to get people to recognize that um, even some of the smaller stuff that they think is not important is really playing a big role in their brain health. But in terms of those little small things, what, are, what can constitute some of that, that actual uh, misnomers and people just skim over the fact that oh, it's just a little, it's a little oh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things like, you know, somebody I, I've had um, people come up and be like, oh, yeah, I think I've had a concussion before. Um, you know, some people will be like, yeah, I got hit in the head and started seeing stars, but I didn't, I didn't lose consciousness. Um, so it's kind of those things of understanding, like getting hit in the head or having like a whiplash is a big one. People will get whiplash and not understand that even though their head didn't physically impact anything, their brain actually impacted inside of their head. Um, so that's called what it's a coup counter coup um, concussion. And those are actually some of the worst because it causes brain shearing. Um, so in terms of that, I say like, if you have like actively hit your head on something, or if you know, you had like a really bad case of whiplash, um, those can be considered minor 
minor TBIs or MTBIs, minor brain damage. Um, and so it's kind of tricky because neuroscience actually hasn't caught up to categorizing that as an actual injury. Um, a lot of times it's like, oh, did you lose consciousness? If you lost consciousness, like, wow, yeah, you should really um, take note. Um, and even if you get back up and you're like, I'm fine. Uh, no, you're, there's something in your brain that told you to like shut down. So that's kind of one of the things that um, bringing in the research to kind of get to that minutia is kind of tricky is so when I'm talking to people, I'm looking at, you know, how, how they notice certain things. Um, so for oftentimes people are like, well, I don't, I've, I don't think I've had a concussion. But I sleep a lot. I'm really cranky for some reason. Um, I get headaches all the time. So it's like all these little symptoms where the symptoms can actually be the same, even though they haven't had something dramatic happen to them. So that's kind of where it's a lot of almost talk therapy with a lot of these athletes to be like, all right, you don't think you've had a concussion, but you're having all of these different symptoms that would point to a concussion. Um, and so it's kind of really making sure the, the language around symptoms is more accurate and more precise. And that kind of goes back to awareness. It's like most people have probably had a concussion or so, but don't even, don't even know. Um, and so one minor concussion is okay. But if you're talking to athletes who've had dozens of minor concussions, that over time will um, will affect their cognitive function, will affect their relationships. So it's really trying to make sure that we're changing the language around minute concussions um, or like kind of smaller brain traumas. Um, that way people can understand that if anything's wrong, if they're getting any symptoms, like understanding that symptoms mean that there's something wrong with your brain. Your brain can't feel pain. So if you're having, you know, mood swings is a big one. If you're, if you're really irritable, that means that something in your brain is telling you, hey, you should probably slow down. You should probably stop because we're not fine. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing for me is trying to help people understand that, you know, you don't need to be laid flat on your back and not remember 10, like the last 10 minutes for you to have a concussion. Um, so yeah, it's mostly, I would say in terms of that minute stuff, really honing in on being, having that athlete be aware of what they're already experiencing and then defining what that could be. But in a, in a nutshell, Danielle, do you think it's because to some extent concussion is to a certain extent stigmatized because in some of these sports you have to portray a certain sense of bravado a certain sense of ego oh, to carry on oh yeah and it's 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 really transforming this idea of like your concussion might be seen as like a badge of honor like oh he got knocked out or she got knocked out and got back up and kept on playing like that looks cool in the short term but you know we're now finding like these rugby players, NFL athletes, motocross guys, they're having suicidal ideation. Um, they're depressed. They don't have the proper um, short-term memory. And so it's, it's really kind of 
the trajectory is them becoming a vegetable kind of sort of where they're not able to care for themselves. And so, you know, in the short term of like, oh yeah, I've got like 10 concussions. It sounds really cool, but you don't want to be in your fifties and have to have a caretaker. So it's kind of that trade-off of like having athletes understand the long-term repercussions of brushing it aside and having them interact with athletes who have done that sort of thing and have been like, yeah, I've, I've had, you know, multiple concussions, whatever, have them meet somebody who's in their fifties and has serious kind of, um, symptoms, um, early on stage Parkinson's and they're like, Oh, that doesn't look good. Um, I, I, in my Instagram, I talked about meeting Muhammad Ali. Um, and so world-class athlete, poet, activist, I mean, you know, just this amazing personality. And I met him like, you know, a couple, almost a couple years before he died. And the weirdest thing was like, you're kind of talking to a shell. Um, and if you get athletes who are, you know, in their twenties have this kind of invincibility complex and you sit them in front of some of these guys who are kind of shells of their former self, it really does help integrate like, Oh, that could be me. And so when we have now, you know, the research to back this up to be like, yeah, if you have multiple concussions, this is where you might end up. If we have that kind of solid set of research it's really now up to those institutions, those professional rugby teams, those professional football teams, um, soccer as well, hockey, to be like, to have a part of their institution say, we know that getting concussed multiple times will lead to that. And so having the proper prevention long-term um, to really make sure their athletes have a place um, to go when they're like, hey, I actually am not feeling okay um, is kind of the bigger thing um, where I think a lot of athletes do harm because they try to brush it off and be like, I'm fine. And they'll, they'll do that until they're not fine. And it's usually too late until they're not fine where they're having some really severe symptoms. And that was kind of me to an extent where it took me sleeping like 18 hours a day to be like, hmm, I think something might be wrong. <laughs> um, where I would wake up at 1 p.m., I'd be awake to like for three hours, I'd go back to sleep, and then I'd wake up for dinner, and then I'd go back to sleep after that. Um, and I did that for three months until I was like, huh, I think there might be something wrong with my brain. <laughs> um, because all of my friends were out and they were, you know, doing fun stuff, and I was literally just sleeping. Um, and so for me, it took having to actually experience, um, not being able to keep up with my peers, like being isolated, not being able to have a normal life to be like, huh, I think I've done some damage to my brain. Um, and so, you know, getting, you know, newer athletes who are in their early teens, late teens and early twenties to be like, you don't want to have to get to that point where you have to stop yourself. If you're trying to, you know, having to stop yourself, you're probably a little too late. Like you've done a significant amount of damage already. But you talk about that isolation there from the perspective of the concussion. What greater impact is that going to have on your mental health? Be it you were put in that position of 
you're not oh, among yeah. your peers from that basis. So that's actually one of the things that I coach upon because it's, it's kind of funny. You don't realize that you're, everything in your brain, your body is all connected. Um, and so it, it took me like several concussions to realize how interconnected all of these things were. So I, after I think my seventh concussion, started getting really weird panic attacks where I'd just be going out to lunch and all of a sudden I would just hysterically start crying. I thought the floor was melting. Like I'd be hyper paranoid. And I was like, I can't go out in public. Like I'm going to be that crazy person that like can't sit down and have a good lunch and like can't eat a sandwich without like having a complete meltdown. And so I was realizing how integrated your mental health is with your brain health. And I think it's kind of crazy because they're both very well stigmatized to be like, Oh, if you have a mental health problem, you're not strong enough to, um, you know, push through, but being able to realize that your brain in of itself is your mental health. They are very much connected understanding that like, your nutrition and like your hydration levels affect your brain health, which affects your mental health. So for me, it was kind of seeing how all these different aspects were relating to each other. Um, and it took me being isolated from my friends and family, um, lashing out like emotionally in a really dark place for me where I was like, uh, it's interestingly enough, I talked to a lot of athletes, um, military vets as well, and they've experienced something where they get to a point where they no longer have an emotional response. They have this kind of like a sphere or bubble of apathy where they can't feel anything. And it's crazy because a lot of them and myself included have kind of said, that's actually the worst symptom is getting to a point where you feel nothing like you're numb. Um, it's scary because you don't have that. Um, you don't have that like self-preservation that's kind of instilled in all of us. Like you could be like, I could walk out into traffic right now and really not care. So you don't care for your body, but there's still something in you that's being like, but I should. Um, so it's that sort of isolation um, and mental health stigma that trying to get athletes who've experienced multiple concussions to understand how interconnected all of these things are and realizing that, you know, one of the things that people who want to stigmatize mental health say is it's all in your head. Well, if you've had a concussion, yeah, you've had a trauma to your head. So of course it's all in your head. Your brain is injured. You have a brain injury. Um, so for me, that was kind of like the weird thing. I was like, well, yeah, it is all in my head. Like I don't, I, I don't have control of my day to day life. Um, and so coaching our athletes to realize, um, you know, what's isolating about it is you're having these mental health kind of um, issues, but also you're having an identity issue because you're not able to, you know, do or play your sport. And so that's the biggest thing is like now you've kind of isolated yourself from your friends, but you've also kind of isolated yourself from your sport. And so a lot of athletes are like, ah, my purpose is my sport you take away their sport, you've taken away their purpose. So that's kind of where I come in and be like, all right, we've got to separate like, you know, the athletic part of you, like, you know, the spiritual part of you, like the family part of you and be like, you know, you might lose your sport, 
but you have to, you know, you have to rebound from that. And that is really much like a, a mental health sort of thing where people don't realize that, you know, if they keep on pushing, they keep on pushing, they might lose their sport in the long run. Um, so it, it, it is interesting, you know, from kind of where I've started and just kind of interviewing and working with different athletes, just how integrated it all is and how I can see the pattern in talking to like the first five athletes that I talked to, I, I see the pattern of, you know, they are scared of losing their sport. Um, and further than that, they're kind of scared of losing themselves. So there is kind of this weird identity thing where you see after multiple concussions that you, who you are is changing. You might become like grumpier, more angry, more moody, and that's not who you used to be. So there is this really difficult transition for a lot of those athletes to kind of step back and, you know, have a a wider perspective on, you know, what their life is. So it it does get really mental, very spiritual when I'm talking to people because they they do kind of have an identity crisis um, because they're realizing that these concussions are virtually changing who they are as a person. Um, so yeah, overall, it, it, it really does encapsulate a lot of mental health. But if you looked at it from maybe a, 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 a I'm going to say a positive perspective now, mm-hmm. a, a different perspective and looked at it in this sense of to certain, certain growth mindset, adaptability, mm-hmm. flexibility, nothing's supposed to be rigid and, and oh, yeah. in one sense. So if you could accept, your your personality is always ever going to change. It's going to change throughout your 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 entire life. So yeah. it's you can come to terms with, be it, I would say probably the negative side of sport that this mm-hmm. is going to arise. Oh yeah, you probably are not very observant to it because it's like, well, I'm I'm change I'm changing. I see myself day to day. Yeah, you can see that with any aspect of be it appearance and whatever. It's only the people from an outward perspective that can relate that information back to you. you you've changed, uh, et cetera, but be it for the better or for the worse, yeah. because you as the person are living it. So you, you don't per se know that. But in terms of this notion of numbness, what, what do you think people need to and obviously when you're in a state of obviously you could say darkness rock bottom yeah in that place of of dread what can you do to alleviate and obviously is it being more aware of those symptoms as they progress and to to not put yourself in that position yeah um so what my the, the the course that i've kind of created thus far is really to make a course that can be done when you're at your like rock bottom. So really like what's the bare minimum you can do to help yourself progress. And really the first thing that we teach people is it's kind of, it it is in sort of a meditative practice where your goal for like the first couple days is to just note and observe how you are feeling. And so you don't really give, uh, a lot of emotion to how you're feeling. So for example, if you have one day that you're feeling completely dead inside, you're completely, completely numb. You'll, you know, you'll write down, you'll say like, 
I'm dead. I'm feeling numb today. That's it. That's like the rock bottom. It's just having that awareness that you're feeling those things is the first step really to be able to kind of get back to a sense of normalcy. Um, and what I find is that people have not done that in the past. Um, they don't really have a, a, our schools don't really teach us how to, you know, be aware of our own emotions. And so kind of what you're saying in terms of that mindset thing is like, you actually now do have to learn a different strategy to help your brain, to help like your emotion, um, to be emotionally stable. You have to have that awareness um, if you're feeling depressed and even suicidal, you're like, all right, I'm feeling depressed today. I'm feeling a little bit suicidal. And that's the stigma is like, you can't say that out loud. Like, oh no, she's feeling suicidal. Like let's call in like 18 billion people and get her on the phone with eight different psychiatrists. No, no, we're fine. <laughs> to be able to say that and not act either way, not say it's good, not say it's bad. Just be like, yeah, this is what I'm feeling it helps athletes, even just general people in general, to figure out, you know, this is my emotional state. Um, it's not good or bad. And that's how you kind of get to like the next step like or level two. Because um, a lot of times people will panic, I found, when I did personally. When I first started experiencing a lot of the ranges of symptoms, I was like, oh no, what's wrong with me? I'm um, And panic doesn't help because the next time you feel it, you're actually rewiring your brain to feel that same panic every single time that happens. So for me, when I got overwhelmed, I was kind of creating a neuropath, like a path in my brain to be like, you're oversensitized, like you have too much stimulus, go straight down into panic attack. So that was kind of the links that my brain was creating. It was like, oh no, there's too many people in this crowded space have a mental breakdown. And so what was crazy is I started getting a fear of going into public spaces because I was like, am I going to freak out? Like, am I going to have a, like a panic attack? And as soon as I had that brain shift of being like, all right, I feel overstimulated. What can I do to not feel overstimulated? It kind of lost its, uh, the, the panic attack itself kind of lost its weight because I would still maybe have a panic attack, but I was like, and now we're having a panic attack. It's okay. And I, you know, kind of wait it out, get back to normal, come back to my friends and be like, all right, I just had a panic attack. No big deal. And what was crazy was kind of this cognitive behavioral therapy for myself to kind of understand you can go through X, Y, and Z and not assign emotions to it. Because as soon as you start assigning emotions to it, you're teaching your brain, if you feel this, then do that. Your brain is going to make a shortcut regardless of whether you want to or not. So to get athletes in a space of like, if you're feeling really low and in a dark place, don't panic. And it's, 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 it's counterintuitive because a lot of times that's what people want to do is like, they're like, oh, I want to panic because I feel in a certain way. Um, that's been the most helpful thing for myself and for others is to really have, have a, um, a sense of observation. And that's what I'm my first step for, for working with new athletes for my advice for other athletes is like, if you're feeling a certain way, just observe it. Um, and it actually does take practice to be able to observe it because your brain has already said, Oh, if I feel this way, I should panic. 
or I should be really fearful. Or for me, I would just go to sleep for 18 hours. <laughs> I was like, ah, we're overstimulated. Just sleep for the day. Um, so that would be, you know, the biggest shift is to kind of separate your emotions from what's actually happening in real time. Um, just for that sake of mental health. But then also, Danielle, in terms of, uh, and, and this is probably how it's arisen, that this episode is I was asked by somebody else who's suffering with concussion at the moment, and they were, they've, they've been given, how would I put this? Be it, like, limit time, be it, obviously, away from the computer, TV, What's the connection between concussion and light sensitivity? Yeah, so it's it it's funny how as we're kind of going into this age of technology that folks, neuroscientists, computer engineers even, are realizing your brain um, works on electrical impulses. And so, you know, if you... If you just even think about magnets, um, you have a magnet on one side of the table, a magnet on the other side of the table. Um, as they get closer together, they're either repel or retract. And so when you kind of think about your brain as an electrical source, that actually means it's also working as a magnet. Um, and so people have never really, really thought about the idea that your, you know, overhead lights, your computer screens, your cell phone, um, has have negative or positive impacts on your brain um, because the frequencies we can't really perceive it's above our, you know, visual or sound impulses, but it still affects us. So in terms of like, you know, limiting computer time, yeah, you should definitely limit your computer phone. um, Even music, I'd say Um, a, a lot of athletes have problems listening to music because it is, Um, it's a stimulus of a sort. So the research is kind of now coming out in terms of how all these different lights affect your brain. But one of them is blue lights. Um, in particular, the frequency of blue lights really, um, messes with your circadian rhythms. Because if you think about it, like what color is the sky, the sky is blue and we have a tendency not to really understand, um, how our brains are based on nature and we've kind of gotten into the shift of society where we're inside all day, we're staring at computer screens. So we've kind of replaced all of the natural things with artificial things. Um, so your brain is like, I see blue light. It's daytime. Except now it's 12 o'clock at night or it's midnight and you're trying to go to sleep and your brain's like, well, it's daytime. Why should I go to sleep? Um, so you're messing with your sleep cycles, your circadian rhythms by, you know, introducing different lights and, and things of that nature. Um, and taking one step back further, that means you're messing with your brain chemistry. Your brain is now having to rewire itself to be like, all right, so now it's still light at midnight, which means we should be awake. So I should be making the awake hormones to keep you awake instead of your adenosine hormones, which, you know, will help you fall asleep. And so it's, it's very interesting in terms of a lot of the studies right now are being done on mice and how we introduce different types of light, light to mice and looking at brain chemical markers. Um, and so, you know, in short, you know, our technology is kind of changing and rewiring our brains for better or for worse. 
And so for, yeah, for, for me, um, having, you know, a lot of visual stimuli would actually create my panic attacks. So if I was working on the computer, um, for more than three hours, if I went, you know, three and a half hours on the computer, my brain would be like, all right, it's time to shut down, not have a panic attack. Um, so people don't quite, haven't drawn the line that your computer, your phone, your, you know, internet, radio, whatever, those are stimuluses um, that do affect your brain chemistry. Cause it just seems like it's a, it's an everyday thing. Um, and so what you're talking about with, you know, mindset and, you know, shifting for good or bad, when you have a concussion, it actually kind of takes you back to step one and you're now kind of having to rewire and shift things that you thought were good for you or thought you were normal. You're like, Oh, that's actually harming my brain in a sense. So even if you haven't had any concussions, you know, blue lights uh, affect you. Um, when you do have a concussion, it, you see how, to what extent it can affect you. Um, and so now you actually have to be aware and take um, better precautions on how to move forward with these things. But what strategies could you actually implement beyond those though? Um, so one of the things that I use on my like computer, uh, is the, it's called a flux, uh, the flux app. And so instead of blue light after 6 PM, it changes my computer screen orange. Some people get glasses that like are like legitimately orange glasses. And so while you're looking at your computer screen, it doesn't look blue. It looks like a weird dingy orange color. It takes a while to like adjust to, but you'll find, I found that, my eyes weren't as tired because, you know, if you're staring at a computer screen for like, you know, a couple hours, you get off and you start blinking weirdly um, and your eyes kind of hurt and you're like, oh, that's not good. Um, so that was like one little step that I, that I took. I try to make like little small habits and changes. So I wouldn't check my phone or my laptop after 8 p.m. Um, and it, it's interesting because I had to get a little more militant with a lot of these habits. Um, getting a lot more regimented of like, all right, so I can't have my phone in my bedroom as my alarm clock. I know a lot of people use their phone as their alarm clock because I'm, I, I might check it. Like I might, you know, get up in the middle of the night, check it, you know, have this like bright blue screen, like beaming into my eyes at like midnight. Um, so little things like that where I'm like, I don't have my electronics in my bedroom. Those are small steps. Um, in terms of television, I like limit my television time. Um, binge watching is a big thing now. Like if you've had multiple concussions, maybe don't binge watch like several episodes of television. Um, cause it's just a lot of stimuli for your brain to take in. Um, and even if you haven't had multiple concussions, like maybe just go on a walk. Um, so really understanding, um, time limits. I like put timers on things all the time. I'll set phone reminders and be like, all right, like, uh, my phone has like a screen time app. So it shows me how, how long and hours I've been on my screen. And I've set it to like, if it's more than three hours in this set period of time, then like you should probably do something else. Um, so it's a lot of just little things that, you know, you can like little steps and actions you can take to be able to limit, you know, screen time, phone time, radio, um, people who live in big cities, it's kind of tricky, like going out at night, there's just a lot of like screens and a lot of lights and everything's flashing. It's like being like New York and Times Square. Um, you probably don't want to be there. It's not good for your brain. 
Um, so I really try to tell people, you know, that that's where that awareness comes in. You have to be aware of your environment and how your environment is affecting you. Um, if it's having a negative effect or a positive effect, you have to make your own treatment plan that works best for you. Um, so some people really aren't affected so much by um, light stimulus, but it might be sound. Um, or food is a big one. Um, salty food, sweet, spicy, doesn't matter. They might have more of a, a symptomatic reactions with their brain by the foods that they're eating, if they're eating dairy or something like that. So that's kind of where I'm like, only you know the symptoms that you're having. So you have to take the precautions necessary to kind of do the best or at least do no harm for, for the rest of your brain. But Danielle, in terms of this awareness, how does one, I'm going to use this term loosely, <laughs> learn it uh-huh. without getting to that stage of what we talked about here in Rock Bottom where you have to rewire yourself anyway? Mm-hmm. How do you get to this position where you are aware of the situation mm-hmm. and you've not been taught that in the first place? Yeah, um, that's literally what we help train people to do. Um, it's interesting because, um, you know, nowadays you'll hear a lot on like mindfulness apps and meditation apps and like this, that, and like you have breathing timers. And so people are roughly becoming aware, yoga is a big one, of um, these different ways to become a little more aware, but it's, it hasn't quite been integrated in terms of mental health and concussions. So, you know, you have these things. And I, I think that one of the problems is, you know, for the mindfulness and yoga apps that they hear in the States, it's kind of become trendy. And so it's like, oh, now we have goat yoga. And so people kind of laugh at it. And they're like, not doing that. That sounds dumb. Um, but there is actually, you know, it's funny because we've, in terms of meditation, we've been doing it for thousands of years. And now research is like, huh, meditation is actually really great for your brain. So, you know, for a lot of people understanding, like, there is a part of it that is super trendy and people think like, oh, in order to be mindful, in order to meditate, I have to like sit and go ohm for 30 minutes. Go on a walk without your phone, like preferably next to like in a park or next to some trees. Um, That way you are limiting your stimulus you're limiting your stimuli um, around you. Um, trees are great for that to be like, all right, let's slow it down. Um, and you actually kind of rewire your brain to become naturally aware. Because when you're going on a walk, you're naturally observing your environment and your surroundings um, in a way that is different than, you know, going for a run. You're going for a run, you're doing it for exercise, you're doing it, you're trying to hit mile time. You go on a walk and you're like, wow, it's really nice outside. Look at the birds. Um, So little things like that in terms of like doing things that are slower in pace. I tell people, for me, it was art, painting. Um, Do things that don't involve a computer or don't involve like fast pace. Like if you start to do things that help you slow down, you'll kind of naturally teach yourself to become more aware because that's just naturally what you're going to practice. So for me, I started painting, sculpting. I, that was a, kind of the cool thing. I got my sixth concussion. I started painting. I was like, I don't know how to paint, but like these aren't half bad. Um, going out in nature, 
uh, helps you slow down is the biggest thing. Um, and because for at least for people who've had multiple concussions or even one concussion, slowing down is like the best thing that you can do for your brain because your brain is trying to rehabilitate and recuperate and recover itself. So it's going to do that naturally. If you slow down, you can help it do that faster. Um, so a lot of people, I feel like, think they need their meditation practice has to look like, you know, X, Y, or Z. I tell people, do whatever, you know, is working for you. Um, if you don't like going on a walk, do something else. Um, but make sure, you know, you are in a state of mind where you're not um, – constantly fielding questions or constantly checking your email or just you're kind of disconnecting. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing for, at least for people in our society is like they're very connected and, you know, work is emailing them and this is over here. And so that's, I feel like the most helpful way, you know, in terms of kind of trading that awareness part um, is just to be like, stop doing what you're doing and just like calm down, <laughs> like be still. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways to do that. But I think I think and I'll and I'll, and I'll put in add, add some of obviously my own personal experience. I think I wouldn't have re- related the two together in terms of we spoke until we've actually spoken together between I dissociated probably concussion with the sporting sense and mm-hmm. mental health is a resonant in well not later life but not more recently yeah. and this probably something ahead is about five years removed between mm-hmm. what I think or maybe a little bit less but I wouldn't put the two or two together in terms of until you said it. But I think with me and you said slowing down pace, uh, I think for me, I did, I did photography and it's, it, it's getting that sense of, well, finding that cre- something within creative within yourself in terms of, well, I was quite good yeah. <laughs> in high school. So I was like, well, don't want to do art. Cause that's more, yeah. and that is slower in itself is even slower than picture. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's where I was able to probably take away some of the, the, the probably those little minute uh, symptoms that you were talking about in, mm-hmm. earlier in the episode, because it probably have probably have arisen in early childhood, some of those just messing about. Yeah. Uh, and you, you don't even think of that. It's like, well, you're messing around with your friends, taking a knock to the head. And that's yeah. probably the first one. Uh, but being probably be able to take that step back because it's built into the, the curriculum mm-hmm. you become accustomed to doing it anyway so you just say well I'm, I'm quite good at that yeah. uh, you go into probably high school you then do it as mm-hmm. a class because you enjoy it so you take you don't put the two and two together you do it I feel at ease I feel relaxed mm-hmm and it's probably been built into my and hardwired into my DNA. I'm quite laid back. So I think that symptom of when you say it does occur and it probably hit its heights with the mental health, it was, the counselor said to me, you're overdoing it and trying to balance too many plates in the air thinking, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. And this was probably six, seven months ago. Mm-hmm. But on reflection now, you're thinking, yeah, maybe I've set, trying to balance one too many things. He, yeah. he probably had a point in terms of that basis. Yeah, I'll probably be, for me, was balancing 
too much at that particular time. But if mm-hmm. I'd have probably taken one or two of those away within the confines of what I was used to, I'd have been okay with that. But that's very much like we're talking about is awareness, be able to see that. You, at the time, you think, oh, no, that's that's nothing. I, I, I need to get these things all done. But you don't think of what the consequences are going to be. So I think for me, and I'll wrap up my point, I was, I think as I progressively got better and obviously did talk about the problems, um, and people just giving you suggestions to, mm-hmm. to implement, it's like, okay, you could try this. Okay. I'll give it a go. <laughs> if I don't enjoy it, I can do something else. Yeah. And it's having that open-mindedness, I'd like to use the word, to mm-hmm. at least attempt it. On some of those things, I thought, I've not liked them in the past. Yeah, so why would I? <laughs> why would I like them? But but then that's that, that argument I'm going to use was Pilates. And, and the difference between the general populist Pilates and what I did as an athlete is a massive gulf between very, the two. Yeah, systems. very different. But I thoroughly enjoyed Pilates. I didn't. I I, I saw the other one as a necessity because I had to mm-hmm. do it. But I wouldn't have done it out of choice. Sometimes maybe I would have. But whereas this one, I see the needs must. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's my time away from well the outside world. <laughs> so <there's, Yeah. laughs> uh, and it's an hour of peace. I won't. I won't look at my phone. Uh, okay, I will talk to people, but they're mm-hmm. in a similar frame of mind that that is either for relaxation, to certain extent, strength and conditioning for whatever basis they're doing it and they get an enjoyment out of it. So it's finding, like you say, a vehicle to be able to slow the pace down, get away from what is become the norm of uh, everything must be now, now, now it's everything at fast, but it's going in reverse. Yeah. I mean, what's really crazy is our schools and especially for athletes, we are super competitive. Um, we are type A, super driven. It's like, go, 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 go. And so when I was in college, um, played uh, Division One softball, we had our schedule, and then we had one built-in, like, NCAA mandatory rest day. And so that was literally to physically rest the body. But I remember everyone would get so, like, angsty on their rest days that it was never restful. They're like, I just, ugh, school and sports and stuff. And so all these athletes, I feel like, have really been trained to be like, go, 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 go. Like, you got to push harder. You got to train harder. You got to do this harder. And what's funny is we've kind of integrated a, a rest day for the body, but we've never integrated like a rest day for the mind. And so even with, if you, even if you haven't had a concussion, like even if you have like zero brain symptoms, whatever, like that's important. Um, and so in terms of these activities, I feel like a lot of athletes have no idea how to turn that competitive nature off. So they'll try these, these things. They're like, I went on a walk and it wasn't restful. And I was like, well, I mean, you're competing with the grandma with the, 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 you know, five, five pound little dumbbell weights. I'm like, you have to kind of disconnect from that competition side. Um, It's, it's not about whether you're good at it or not. I think a lot of, a lot of a couple of the guys that I've been working with, um, they've talked about painting. They're like, I'm just not good at it. I'm like, it's not about being good at it. Like, you don't have to have the best 
like sculpture or painting in the class. Like it's not for you to become Picasso. It's like for you to like calm down. I'm like, so, you know, if you're taking that really athletic nature of like, I have to be first, I have to be the best, I have to win in these mindset practices. It's really funny to me because I'm like, you're not doing it right. <laughs> like, uh, you have to disconnect from, you know, these preconceived notions that, it, that are really kind of ingrained in a lot of athletes of like, I want to win. Like, you're finally doing something that does not encapsulate winning. And a lot of them struggle with that of, I have to, if I'm not good at it, why should I, <laughs> why should I do it? Um, so it's actually kind of retraining them, you know, and especially guys who are 27, 28 and going into their thirties, like 30 years of having a very driven and like, go, go, go type a mindset to be like, calm down. <laughs> and they really do struggle with that. Um, and so, you know, that's the bright side of concussions is they don't have a choice whether they have to like there's no choice of like, I have to, should I slow down or should I, you know, take a rest day? Like their brain is, is forcing them to take a rest day. Um, and so that's kind of the new shift that we're getting into with a lot of the athletes who've had multiple concussions, but just in general, a lot of the athletes that I talk to, I'm like, all right, so, you know, you have a cardio rest day where, you know, you're not doing as intense workout. Like what is, your mindset, like what's your mind's rest day? Like what do you do to like take time off of your brain? Um, and they're like, what? <laughs> they don't even understand the concept of that. They're like, what do, you, what do you mean? I'm like, what are you doing to give your brain a break? Like your brain cannot be going like 24 seven pedal to the metal, like you're going to burn out. And that's the biggest thing that we find with a lot of these athletes is they were already burnt out before they're like, you know, their seventh concussion. Um, and so they go back and they realize they're like, Oh wow, I could have, you know, been in such a better place before all these concussions. If I had just like taken a moment to like breathe, um, and relax and calm down. Um, and it's funny cause for, even for the non-athlete, the research is coming out on just general cortisol and stress hormone levels in the natural population it's just like an increasing upward line. It just like keeps on going up. And so they're like, you know, the average person has like twice the amount of stress hormones they should be going through their body. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And so you see it as burnout. You see it as people losing their hair. You see it as people gaining weight, um, mental health issues, simply because people are not giving themselves a break. Um, and so I, I joke with a lot of my athletes, I'm like, your concussion was your break. <laughs> you broke your brain, so you need to stop. Um, and so that's kind of the, the the positive side is they're actually now having to force themselves to to take in more of a holistic method of athletic training. Um, and it really does give a lot of the people, for myself included, a more of an edge because now I know how to be aware of when I'm getting becoming burnt out. I'm a firefighter right now, so not like I chose a very low stress job. Um, I, I see when I'm becoming burnt out, I know what to do when that happens. And so I've now become a professional in terms of understanding how to handle stress uh, in my environment, stress in my diet, stress in my mental health. Um, I'm not worried. I don't panic when I see those things happening. I'm like, oh, these things are happening. I know what to do now. Um, it, and I can get back to normal, get back to being able to compete 
a lot faster because I'm not, you know, spinning my wheels. I'm not like, oh my gosh, like the sky is falling. Um, where I think a lot of athletes, you know, if they haven't had a concussion, they'll get to that point eventually where they do get to a state of burnout where they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just stressed. And I'm like, just, just take a moment, just breathe. You're fine. Um, because it is one of those things that hasn't quite been integrated into, I feel like the sports world as much It's kind of getting in there, but overall, especially with a lot of younger athletes, they're not getting that kind of training of like, yeah, your, your mind, your brain is a part of your body. Um, that's your instrument as well. So you need to take care of it. But in terms of you, you raise interesting points there, Daniel, in terms of, you know, the athlete needs to be, needs to, needs not to be, should I say, Mm -hmm. uh, competitive, but needs to be first in, in one thing. But do you think they've lost sense of the initial endeavor they had at the very start of sport? Obviously it's for fun. It's, oh yeah oh yeah it comes into yeah. it later yeah. on and i think that's you know for a lot of people um it's crazy in the news here there was like a little league baseball game and the parents like there was a bad call from like a 13 year old umpire the parents literally started brawling on the baseball field in front of these 13 year old kids and i was like wow that's <laughs> that's a lot. That's special. Um, because I mean, even at 13 years old, like the society around the sport is like, you need to be the best. Like we got to win. And you know, people do lose fact of like, even professional athletes. I love working with professional athletes. I'm like, you play soccer for a living. Yeah. Like you should, you know, take some time and like, remember, get back to the fact of like, that's pretty awesome. Like that's a like that's a good place to be, um, but they do kind of get super stressed out um, by this burnout of like having to be the best all the time, where they literally forget you know why they started or um, things of that nature. And for me, talking to a lot of my former teammates, the when they go back to you know the softball field, they're like, "Wow, this is great! Like this is a really fun sport." Like they forgot, like you know you know, 10, 20 years of their lives, um, they forgot about that because they were, you know, very much in that drive, competitive, like, I have to win mindset. And so it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of coaches might say, like, well, you know, this sport is fun, like, winning, winning is fun. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it is, but uh, not if, like, you're miserable while you're doing it. So I think a lot of athletes will get to that point where, like, the sport becomes miserable, um, but they've been rewired and retrained in their brain to be like, well, my goal now is to win. Like, winning is fun. And you're like, eh, not, not really. Not if you're burnt out. Like, not if you're super stressed. Not if you're tired all the time. Um, that's not fun. And, and more, more than anything else, it's not healthy. Um, it's not healthy for your long-term mental health. It's not healthy for your body. Um, and it, it's, I feel like it's good that people are kind of starting to realize that, but yeah, just like you say fun in, in certain, in certain practices and people are like fun. It's not about fun. And you're like, okay. So yeah. Um, and that's kind of something that I do tell a lot of my athletes is like actually try and play your sport, not to, not to compete, not to get better, just, 
to enjoy it because that's something you enjoy. Um, and so that's kind of the, one of the things that people will realize when they do disconnect from kind of like the society of their sport, they'll realize they're like, Oh, this is, this is actually kind of fun. Like I enjoy doing this. I'm like, yeah, that's why you started. So that's kind of the bigger, bigger thing that I try to like retrain into people is trying to kind of get them back to, to center or at least the reason why they started. But I think it's, I think in a nutshell, Daniel, I think it's rem- reminding oneself or ref- well, not reframing, refra- yeah, I'll use the word reframing. Mm-hmm. To look at awareness as being a skill it's something that you can acquire obviously oh yeah you may not have it you can mm-hmm. obviously the, the loose sense of the word you can be aware of your, your surroundings be yeah. it some people are better at other at, at, some are better than than others in terms of probably like people watching so they should in theory oh, yeah. be able to take that step back and say okay i can observe this sense of uh I'll call it loosely nosiness a little bit. <laughs> Take a step back and, and be kind of an outer body experience. Mm-hmm. And look down upon myself and, and what could I do better? So I think it's it, it's obviously looking at it from that perspective in terms of looking at a skill. And, and what I wanted to add in terms of the, that skill set was when you said athletes, they want to be number one, comfort, be first from a competitive sense. Uh, when it comes to something I'm going to say they're not particularly good at, be it painting, sculpting, and they put it from a competitive stance. But you're not, like you said, going to be a Picasso, but that <laughs> is a skill that you have not, I'm not going to say not acquired, you've not accomplished yet. And mm-hmm. I think due to, nature, due, to, due to the nature of you being competitive, yeah. If you feel that that's important to become good at it, you'll you'll be able to do it. But it's putting that awareness into place from that basis to say, well, and this is probably you probably steal this from me. In terms <laughs> of you've put hours and hours into your craft from a sporting perspective. That's probably where the the general populace kind of struggles to say, well, I can't become you. Mm-hmm. Or you weren't willing to put in that yeah, you're not, sacrifice. Yeah. Ten thousand hours. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice for me. Uh that was an obsession. it could go as far as an obsession, but the dedication and the willingness to want to do it mm-hmm. is a no brainer. I'll do it any but then to summarize in terms of and, and come to my my actual overall where I'm coming from, if you did the same into in towards something else. Mm. You'd probably be good at that as well, but yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of the thing that's funny is for athletes, it, it's a lot oftentimes they started because they enjoyed it, competitive, and they were good at it, so that's why they continued to get better. Um, and then in terms of like understanding mindset as an actual practice or mindfulness meditation, um, even breathing practices, I feel like athletes <clears throat> do a lot better when they are moving in their meditation practices. So like yoga, Pilates, walking, um, sculpting, uh, their brains kind of are at ease because they get to move so much. Um, But that's kind of the funny thing. I'm like, yeah, you're probably going to be bad at it because you spent your whole lifetime like honing your cricket or football skills. Like, duh 
Um, so it, it is kind of funny, the frustration, I think, um, where they're like, well, I'm just not good at my breathing exercises. I'm like, you breathe every day. <laughs> like, calm down. Um, and so it is kind of this this training. And that's why I call myself the concussion coach because it is coaching people to understand. I'm like, you're maybe not, you know, a master at this practice because you haven't put those hours in. But at the same time, like understanding, like this is a practice that goes beyond, you know, the skills of your sport. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the football players that I talk to, you don't have a lot of um, opportunities to tackle someone in, in like your daily life and just like public, like you're not just like, <laughs> all right, like, it's not going to come in handy for you, but like maybe your breathing exercises will. And so having them understand that distinction of like, this is now a skill that you can apply a lot more broadly um, than just, you know, getting on the line, hitting, you know, your, your offensive or defensive lineman over and over again. It's a lot different. Um, and so once they kind of get over that hump, like exactly what you're saying of like, oh, this is another practice, um, they get a lot better. And what's funny is I also have to tell them it gets kind of very meta metaphysical in terms of like, you have to now be aware of your own frustrations in your, in your walk to awareness. And so you just keep on like having to go back and be aware of all the things that are coming up. Um, that way I tell people like, you know, write them down. Um, I'm really big at like doing the least. So I'll tell people like, if you don't want to get a pen and paper and write them down, grab your phone and put like an emoji for that day. Like find an emoji and just be like, boom, that my emoji was like angry. And so at least now you have a way to track your progress um, where, you know, you might, you know, try your breathing practice. You see like an angry emoji <laughs> and you like see your breathing practice, another angry emoji. And then finally you're kind of, you know, tracking yourself to become a little more, um, a little more helpful. You raised a good point there, Daniel. So I had to look on my phone in terms of, cause there was an app I was um, recommended to do to, to look from a, an emotional standpoint in terms of when mm -hmm. I was dealing with, oh, I said some of the rest will have mental health issues, but in terms of when it was magnified to, to where it was and the app's called Dalio and you, you could go, you could go mm -hmm. nuts if you wanted to in terms of going yeah. to everything between yeah. what, what you're feeling. But I, I looked at it in different components, be it, I used to do it, be it how I felt going to work, lunchtime, mm -hmm. after, after work, and then in the evening, and it'd be, okay, the, the, the environments are slightly different. So, okay, how do I feel in this mm -hmm. environment now? I know it does remind me to do it from time to time. It's like, yeah. how do I feel today? You're like, uh, ah. I'll, come, I'll, I'll do it another time. It's, 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 yeah. it's not, it served a purpose to, to get me where I needed to get to, mm -hmm. but I don't need to overanalyze it. And then there was some, you talk about yeah. frustration. I overanalyze it. So, okay, why do I feel like this today? Yesterday it was better. And then it's like, mm -hmm. I start feeling, not guilty, but, 
feel I feel I feel worse because it's like well I'm wearing yeah. this, this last month was like that but you you show it to somebody else like yeah don't over but I think for me over time you could relate it to okay you talked about an emoji it's an emoji be it I can't remember it's like happy face yeah um, oh god. I'll, I'll describe it as numbness, you know, like a face of not yeah, like any like emotion. <laughs> yeah. uh, sad, I think sad, and then there's like, there's never, I never got like the worst one on the app, yeah. but mine generally, it would be, like it, my family likes to say like nothingness, it's most of the time, yeah. if you're in the middle, it's like, well, yeah. you, you, you can't be, oh, what did I say the other day? I've got like bipolar traits, but it's just like my mum was like, No, you don't, because you're most of the time here. You're not yeah, in the middle. Up here and you're not down here all the time. I'm thinking, Well, just that might be that might be now, but before it was extreme, you got those extreme sets. So for me, I would say I'm not recommended for people to do it, but I said, Well, it gives you a sense to, to if you are feeling a state of low mood you could at least track it and then mm-hmm. you could re- relate but that's obviously i'm able to be aware yeah now because of the app to be aware of well okay this is the trigger what can i do about it okay mm-hmm. yesterday wasn't the best be it work related i'm aware of this situation is frustrating yeah. me what can i do to not exacerbate this, the situation but subdue the situation Mm-hmm. to make me feel better and obviously give you the, the tools to, to I see the, the, the problem that is being given to me over social media so I can't do anything mm-hmm. but let me give you the tools to this is what I would do yeah I have at the back of the mind it's probably where the frustration comes from you're going to do the opposite mm-hmm. <laughs> which which it makes it it makes it worse so I did have to say okay I've given you the, t- and I did speak to another colleague today about it. It's like, well, I've given you the tools. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to lift that weight off my shoulders. And I'm a lot better than, than yesterday in terms of it. So let me just slow down, slow, concentrate on my breathing and, and, and try and not control me because I can't control that person's head. Yeah. <laughs> or get them to be aware of what you're doing. I knew that probably was going to rise they told me that 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 it did come about i was like well i'm not surprised because Mm -hmm. i've 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 given you the strategy so that doesn't happen you didn't you didn't take them Mm -hmm. so some of the accountability has got to fall at your feet yeah because i i gave i gave the tools i said this was going to be a problem because i saw it happening before it arose but i think it's being aware of, of of the fact that not taking like you said that mm-hmm. situation and connecting to an emotional response because obviously it's going to have a compounding effect. Yeah. Um, and, and the couple of things that you brought up were really important because like, I, I don't really like lock myself down into any sort of like app or like practice, whatever works works. Um, so for me, there is a time where, I would, you know, track all my moods and emotions and all that. Um, and then I would get guilty about not tracking it and be like, Oh crap, I didn't track it for like this whole week. And what was actually happening is I 
was doing the tracking in like my daily life. Like I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, that pissed me off, but okay, here we go. Um, so I was taking the app and kind of integrating it into myself. And the transition was weird because I'm like, why am I so guilty? Because I didn't track this, that, or the other. Um, it was because I was already like integrating it into my daily life and my habits. So I teach people, I'm like, you know, there is a time where you actually might not need an app or, or to do X, Y, and Z. Like you're actually going to come up into a situation where you're doing all the things you're just being like, all right, like, I see this, I see this, I see this, that's happening, that person's stupid, that's okay, <laughs> like, I can control what I can control, um, and so it's almost like taking off the training wheels, in a sense, of like, all right, we've gotten to a point where you're okay without, you know, using this, um, and so that's kind of how I teach people in terms of how they level up. Um, understanding that for me, I'm not so focused on the goal of tracking or whatever. It's more of the system of what it does for me. Um, so when I was really at like rock bottom area, I'm like, I, that was like literally my whole lifeline. Like that is all I lived for was to just track up, down, left, right, happy, sad. That's the only thing I did. Um, and I got to a point where that became who I was, where I was like, oh, I can track these things and I don't need to pick up my phone because I just know that I'm feeling that sort of way. Um, these are the reasons why. Um, and so that was kind of the biggest thing in terms of translating that for other people to understand is your brain sometimes is working so fast that, you know, somebody says something, you don't really recognize it, but it triggers you in the back of your head and so you're going around and you're like oh i'm angry but i don't know why and then you remember i'm like oh that guy back there like you know three hours ago said something that really made me angry um and i've just been like carrying that anger um and so that's kind of how i the system kind of changes as you kind of go along um to be able to not need any sort of external whatever um, tool for for you to be aware of like what's happening or what's going on um, and then also to be able to take the steps to fix it in the moment um, and so it's interesting uh, there are a handful of people that when I talk to them they're very much they're very blunt and they need to think settle things like now and I'm like maybe maybe now isn't always the right time frame like you're heated, she's heated, like, it's not a good time. Um, but understanding, I'm like, all right, like, how do we take a broader perspective of being, like, getting the whole situation? Um, and then becoming aware of, like, all the different things that you can do in terms of your own communication, your own emotions to ameliorate the situation um, to a point where you're not angry anymore, like, where you're just, like, kind of content. Um, and then go from there. Like, all right, so what are the things that, you know, anger me that, you know, maybe this other person does, my coach does, my teammate does, um, that I can't control. So like your controllables and uncontrollables and going from there and being, um, being able to be aware of those things and be like, yeah, every time a coach does that, it just really, really makes me mad. Um, you know, doing the most that you can for yourself, um, 
and getting to that point of like, yep, my coach says that I'm going to get kind of angry, but it's, it's funny from when I've talked to people who've kind of worked with this concept of tracking their emotions. A lot of people think that it's funny after they've been doing it for a couple of months when they say like, Oh, that made me angry. They're like, actually, it didn't really make me ang- I'm like, I'm not actually angry about it anymore. It's just kind of funny. Um, like, and so they see this like kind of trajectory of there's no real point of, you know, certain emotional reactions. It's, it's not helpful for them um, anymore. And even sports, um, some of my MMA fighters that I work with, even, even sports like that where they're like, I don't fight with anger anymore because it's not helpful for me. Um, they're like, it, it clouds my judgment. I, I, I don't see as clearly during the fight. Um, and what I've noticed is like, you know, the fights that I am angry, I usually, despite either whether I win or lose, I usually have a worse performance. My performance deteriorates because I'm like thinking I need to fight with anger and get all hyped. And he's uh, a guy that I'm thinking about. He's like, no, uh, the performances where I'm just aware of what's happening um, are the ones that I feel the best about regardless of the scorecard. So that's kind of cool that, you know, that's been his trajectory um, to even, you know, have such an aggressive sport as MMA fighting. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually get angry anymore. And it's kind of nice. So it's, it's, it's these weird perceptions, I think, that people think that they have to, you know, respond a certain way, you know, to get a desired result, but they don't. And as soon as they realize that, they're like, oh, that's a lot easier not not doing that. So, yeah. My final question to you, Danielle, before we wrap up the episode, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today mm-hmm. into one sentence for people to take away, mm-hmm. what would that be? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Actually, not really. Um, I would say uh, slow down, disconnect, and find what works best for you and your emotions. So that'd be emotions and brain health. But yeah, so that, that, that'd be my biggest thing is like, just slow down. So once again, Daniel, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure's been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Danielle and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at the concussion coach and at James O. Roberts 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And finally, do check out her free symptom guide, which you can find on her Instagram at the concussion coach. And again, to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check those out. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsum.com under the category sport. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.